Let's open our Bibles now to the book of the prophet Jonah, chapter 4. We come now to the ending of our series in the book of Jonah. So we'll read today the last chapter of the book of Jonah, chapter 4. Thus says the word of God. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful and is slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Then say the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gird, and made it to come up over Jonah, that he might be a shadow over his head, to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gird, but God prepared a warm, and when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gird that it withered, and it came to pass when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gird? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gird, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right and their left hand, and also much cattle. This for the reading of God's word. We turn now our Bibles to the last chapter in the book of the prophet Jonah. As we come now to the closing of our series throughout the book of Jonah. But before we start, let us come before the Lord once again and ask for his blessing. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we come before thee in reverence and in godly fear, just as we have sang, Lord, to learn from thy ways, to learn from the book of Jonah, Lord, how to have faith in thee, and to obey thy word, Lord. And, O Lord, we pray for the fulfillment of the promise that we just sang. 
that let all revere his thy holy name, Lord, in heaven above and in the earth below. O Lord, we long for the day that this will be fulfilled. So prepare us, Lord, and equip us to proclaim thy message throughout the world. We pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps if Jonah was one of our employees, we would have long fired him and hired a new one. Or perhaps if it was in our power, we would have killed him in that storm. We would have let him drown into the bottom of the sea and simply found another prophet after that. But that was not the plan of our all-powerful and all-merciful God. In fact, God's plan involved Jonah. Even after Jonah's commission was already fulfilled, God was not going to let Jonah go without working in his life. God had a plan that he would work both through Jonah and in Jonah. God was dealing with him. In fact, God was very persistent throughout the whole book of Jonah to work not only through his prophet, but in his prophet. The book of Jonah is very unusual, as we saw in so many different ways. It's the book of the unexpected. It describes a prophet in the negative sense. Unexpected to have a prophet of God who refuses to preach and to proclaim his gospel. Someone who doesn't want to bring the message of salvation. And there are a lot of ironies in this book, as we saw. And one of them is that although the prophet wanted to see judgment taking place, he wanted to see the destruction of the Ninevites, he was the instrument of grace in the hands of God. And finally, as a last unusual feature in this book, it ends abruptly. The book seems to end unexpectedly, leaving us hanging with this question about Jonah. Should not God spare Nineveh? What is your answer, Jonah, before this? But the book ends without giving us this last answer that we long so much to know. Well, we can change this question to make it more personal to us nowadays. Do I understand that God can have mercy on whom he wants to show mercy? That's a question not only to Jonah, but to all of us today. Do we understand that God is free to show mercy to whoever he wants to show mercy? And to understand this, and to answer this question, we'll look into three points this morning. First, resentment over God's mercy, verses 1 to 4. Second, a lesson on God's mercy, verses 5 to 9. And third, the challenge of God's mercy, verses 10 and 11. So first, let's consider a resentment over God's mercy which is exactly what Jonah felt. 
verses 1 to 4. After the demonstration of God's compassion for sinners, as we saw in chapter 3, the answer that we have from the prophet is somewhat unexpected from a prophet. Verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Jonah's answer expresses his bitterness. He has this excruciating anger boiling within him because of the mercy that Lord that the Lord has done in Nineveh, preserving and protecting that people. The destruction of that city would have displeased the Lord, but it would have given Jonah pleasure. It is ironic that seeing God's revival actually was a reason to upset the prophet. Most of us would be happy to see a revival taking place. We so often pray for one. But that actually made Jonah angry. Jonah was disappointed with God's grace upon that city. So he prays to God in verse 2. Two times Jonah prays in this book. Two times only Jonah prays in the book of Jonah. The first one, imploring out of the fish's belly, as he thought he was going to die, he was begging to God, affirming that salvation is of the Lord. Right? We saw his beautiful prayer out of the fish's belly, recognizing that salvation is of the Lord. But now that Jonah has seen this salvation taking place, Sadly, he prays again, but this time complaining before the Lord. He turns to the Lord in complaint. Verse 2. O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. For I knew, I knew it, God, that thou art gracious that thou art a gracious God and merciful, who is slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. I mean, at least Jonah is staking his dissatisfaction before the Lord this time. The first time he simply ran away from God, but this time he's at least praying to God, even though unjustly, standing of holding it inside of him and running from the Lord, from the presence of the Lord, he's at least praying. He learned the lesson to pray. He learned that he has to obey God and pray to him. But his heart was still in the wrong place. His heart was still very much in the wrong place. And finally, the author reveals to us Jonah's motivation For fleeing from the face of the Lord, he knew that God was too good. I knew it, Lord, that thou art just too good. So he decided to flee from his calling. Is this not what I say would happen, Lord? I knew it. I knew it who thou art. I knew it, and that's why I fled from thy presence. In Jonah's mind, God's attributes... Who God is seems to involve some kind of injustice. I knew this was going to happen. You are just too prone to forgiveness, Lord. 
So I knew this was going to be the result. So I fled from thee. Thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. What a great profession. What an orthodox profession. He's right. He gives a beautiful list of God's attributes. His doctrine is right. God is all these things. Once again, Jonah's orthodoxy was right. Everything he said about the Lord was right. But his orthopraxy, his application of this doctrine was terribly wrong. He was using the right doctrine for the wrong application, for the wrong conclusion. These are the very attributes that should have motivated Jonah even more to want to pray to, to preach to Nineveh. To want to go into that city and proclaim the gospel because he knows that God is gracious, that he is merciful, that he is slow to, to anger. So even more he should want to preach to Nineveh with the hope that God would indeed work a mighty work of revival in that city. But instead, he decided to flee from it because of these very attributes. These are the very attributes that God himself told Moses in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. These are the attributes that God revealed to Moses after he forgave the people for making the golden calf. So these are the attributes that are the basis for God's forgiveness for God's people. And Jonah knew it. He borrows the same list of God's attributes that God revealed to Moses, quotes from them, but for the wrong reason. These attributes are so wonderful, so magnificent, that they are quoted over and over in scriptures. It appears in Second Chronicles 30, verse 9, Nehemiah 9, verse 17 and 31, Psalm 86, 103, 111, 112, 145, and then Joel 2, verse 13. It's so wonderful. It's God's revelation of himself. So magnificent. His own attributes that all these prophets just borrow from them. They are overwhelmed with God's glory. And only here, only once, in the mouth of Jonah, these attributes are used in a bad sense. God, you are just too good. I cannot preach this gospel. You are just too good, Lord. I knew it. I cannot preach this gospel. The same truth that is spared the Israelites' lives now angers Jonah. Jonah is the proof that a right doctrine can be used for wrong things. This is no excuse for wrong doctrines, but a warning for us that even with the right doctrines, we can be wrong. Jonah has his theology in the right place, but his heart 
in the wrong place. It is easier for us so many times to profess to have the right doctrines, but it's still to allow our hearts to be in the wrong place. It is easier to hold in check a profession that we say just with our lips than to hold in check our lives before God. His theology was spot on. And here are the five things that Jonah says of the Lord. First, he is gracious. This word gracious is actually a word, a special word used only for the Lord. Indicating that this special grace is found only in him. He is gracious. No one else is gracious like he is. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Psalm 111 verse 4. That's who he is. He is gracious. Second, he is merciful. This is to describe the Lord's compassion to protect and sustain life. And a Biblical dictionary mentions that this word is usually of a superior for an inferior, rooted, rooted in some natural bond, which actually makes sense because this word, the root of this word is used for womb, for the mother's womb. So it's to speak of the same type of maternal love that a mother has for her children protecting and nurturing the baby. The same care and love that a mother has. God is merciful. He protects and cares for his people. Third, his low to anger. Well, the fact that God is slow to anger is the very attribute that saved the Israelites when they made the golden calf. If God was quick to anger, they would be destroyed. Destroyed in that desert, and God would have found another people for, for him. This is the same attribute that saved Jonah out of the fish's belly. Because God is slow to anger, that fish didn't kill him. Because he wanted God to be quick to anger, Jonah was now angry with God. You see, Jonah was quick to anger. So he wanted God to do the same thing. Fourth, God is of great kindness. And the word for kindness here is God's covenantal love. It's the word that he used for his covenantal love with his people. The very word that unites Yahweh, covenantal God, with his people. The word that he used with Moses when he revealed himself. But the interesting thing here is that God is using this word for his covenantal love with his people, showing now his mercy beyond the boundaries of Israel, showing his same covenantal love with others outside of Israel, and reaching out for, for these people who once was a lost people. Showing that his love is not confined to one specific people group. And fifth, Jonah professed that God repenteth him of the evil. This last attribute 
is not part of the typical formula of God's attributes that are quoted over and over, as we saw. This was not in the list of the attributes that God told Moses. And it's not usually quoted in Scripture. In fact, it is only quoted twice. It only appears twice in this list in Scripture. Here in Jonah and in Joel, chapter 2, verse 13. Joel Joel actually uses this as the basis for his proclamation. He uses this list of God's attributes as the basis for his proclamation. He says, Rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, is low to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. You see, same words, same list of attributes, same words, but with very different applications. For Joel, it was the basis of his proclamation. He knew that because God is who he is, he can proclaim this gospel. He can call sinners to repentance. But for Jonah, this was a reason to be upset. Joel's dating is a little ambiguous and hard to pin down. So we'll leave this debate aside, but it is clear that one is borrowing from the other. We don't know who is borrowing from from who, if Joel is borrowing from, from Jonah, or Jonah is borrowing from Joel, but it is clear that one is using the other. The same words. And what is interesting is that If Joel is using Jonah, then he has turned evil unto good. He has took that list of God's attributes that Jonah used for evil and now making it good. But if Jonah is using Joel, then he is making what what was good, evil. But either way, it is ironic that these two prophets made opposite applications from the same truth from the same doctrine. How sad it is to have our hearts in the wrong place. You see, we can hold to the same doctrines. We can profess to hold the same doctrines and yet have hearts in completely different places. How sad it is to have our hearts in the wrong place like this, to know so much and yet love so little and care so little for lost souls around us. And Jonah is so sure that he is right in his complaint before the Lord that he reacts the way that he's doing. Not only he questions the way that the Lord has dealt with the Ninevites, but he even asks to die. Verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, thank, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to leave. He's so displeased, so dissatisfied with God that he would rather, rather die. It's ironic that the same grace that once saved his life is now a reason for him to want to die. And this really remembers almost as a parallel the prayer of Elijah. The other prophet of God, Elijah, in 1 Kings 19, verse 4, 
when the prophet Elijah was in such a great despair that he asked to die just like Jonah. And the way that the Lord answers both of these prophets is also similar. See, for different reasons, they came to the same place. And the Lord answers them in a similar way as well. We have a question probing the motivations of both prophets. In verse 4, to Jonah, God asked, Doest thou well to be angry? And to Elijah, God asked, What doest thou hear, Elijah? To both of these prophets, God answered back with a question. A gentle question, but a probing question nonetheless. Searching the hearts of the prophets. Really searching the hearts of of his prophets. Are you right to be angry, Jonah? When the nation of Israel was caught in idolatry, Moses pleaded with, with the Lord. He went up on the mountain and he pleaded before the Lord with these attributes. He pleaded for mercy. And now, before this foreign nation who was caught up in idolatry, Jonah pleads before the Lord for judgment. Jonah pleads with God with God's attributes for destruction. Israel's history was preserved because of these very attributes. But for Jonah, Nineveh was beyond restoration. There was no hope for Nineveh, and they should be destroyed. Jonah disproves God's goodness. How could God share His special grace with them? With this people. What a sad reality. That even knowing so much of God. That even knowing his attributes. That even knowing who he is. Even having the privilege to carry his word. We can have the same unloving heart for others. For others who are perishing. What a sad reality that even professing the right doctrines. We may not reflect God in any of His attributes. We are quick to anger. Unmerciful, unloving. We can have resentment over God's mercy. So I want you to let the same question probe your hearts. In the same way that it was probing Jonah's heart. Are you right to be angry? Are you right to be angry? Or turning this question a little. Are you happy with God's mercy? Perhaps most of us would say, oh, yeah, I'm not right to be angry. But are you happy with God's mercy? Do you pray for His mercy? Do you, do, do you rejoice in God showing grace to others as much as you rejoice when He shows mercy to you? Let this question probe your heart and evaluate if perhaps you also have a seed of resentment over God's mercy. 
And perhaps the lesson that God taught Jonah can teach us a lesson as well. So second, a lesson on God's mercy. See, Jonah's work was complete. He has preached the gospel. He has proclaimed the gospel. But he doesn't want to go home yet. Jonah is not ready to go back home. He wants to wait a little longer to see what will happen. So Jonah got a couple of of sticks and branches, and he made himself a shelter. And literally, he sat down that shelter to watch what would happen, probably hoping to see that city burn in flames. And three times, the word city is repeated, emphasizing that Jonah chose this vantage point to see what would happen to that city, to watch the downfall of Nineveh. Verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city. He went out of the city because he was hoping that that city would be destroyed. And sat on the east side of the city. And there made him a booth. And sat under it in the shadow. Till he might see what would become of the city. You see, he was there for the spectacle. He was there for the show. But then Lord's, the Lord's answer. And the Lord God prepared a gird, a plant. Verse 6. The same word for, for when the Lord prepared a great fish. Now it is repeated. The Lord prepared something once again. This time he prepared a gird, a plant. Showing that God was pointing and controlling all things. In the book of Jonah, it's very much emphasized how God's providence is really controlling all things, upholding all things. And now this verb is used three times in a row, over and over. See, verse 6, God prepared a plant. Then verse 7, God prepared a worm. Then verse 8, God prepared a wind. See, God was preparing all these things, putting all these things into the right place in the right order to teach something. God had prepared Jonah a tough lesson to learn. God's sovereignty through all the book of Jonah is mind-blowing. And here we see that God had not just a plan for Nineveh, but he had also a plan to teach Jonah something. And there is a debate of what kind of plant was this, whether a castor oil plant or a type of gird, which is a kind of pumpkin, which in that case would have grown using Jonah's booth to support it, kind of growing above Jonah's shelter. But the point is that both would grow quickly, kind of growing overnight, and had large leaves to provide a shadow to relieve Jonah from the sun. The heat and the sun was making Jonah really miserable at this point, to the point of grief. And this plant grows, and the result is that Jonah is exceedingly glad. He was filled with joy because of that plant, because of the nice shade. He was filled with joy over a mere plant. And then the contrast is, Obvious here. While he was exceedingly displeased in verse 1, 
over God's grace and mercy, he was now exceedingly glad over a plant. His interest apparently shifted from being concerned over the city to be concerned with his own well-being. And just as God commanded a big fish, God now commanded a small worm to destroy that plant. The fish had the task to swallow up Jonah. Well, and the worm had the task to destroy that plant, to kill that plant. And so it did. The little worm smote the plant, verse 7. It literally attacked the plant, and the plant withered. And after that, finally, God prepared a wind, verse 8. In case it wasn't clear by now, God controls everything. He controls big animals, like the great fish. And he controls tiny little creatures like that worm. He controls plants. He controls the climate, wind, and the storms and sea. He controls everything. And as a result, as the plant was gone, Jonah was hit with sunstroke. And now with the hot wind from that eastern desert was blowing on him. And he became so upset to the point of asking to die again. Literally, it translates, he asked for his soul to die. He was so upset that he thought it would be better to die, to simply put an end to this and to die. No purpose on living anymore. This is the same request as verse 3. Jonah was sinking in a spiritual illness. He lost any sign of God's favor in his life. And he was now falling into despair. He was grief with sorrow and he thought it would be better to die. The contrast between his two requests is very intentional. In the first one, Jonah is upset with God for withholding his judgment. The first time Jonah was upset with God for withholding his judgment over Nineveh. But now in his second request to die, Jonah is upset with God for giving him a small taste of the divine judgment. You see, just a small taste of the divine judgment was enough to cause Jonah to ask to die. At the same time, he was there, ready to ask for the divine judgment over others. For the second time, the Lord asked Jonah, Are you right to be angry, Jonah? But this time, God adds a little something. Are you right to be angry? Over this plant? Are you right to be angry over this plant, Jonah? Verse 9. After seeking death so many times, God is now mocking Jonah for his inconsistent, inconsistent way of evaluating life. And his surprising answer is that, yes, he thinks he is right to be angry. Jonah was not just upset with the plant, he was upset with God. If we knew the moment that we are saying our last words, I think we would be very careful with what we say, right? Well, Jonah's last words record 
in the Bible are these. I do well to be angry, even unto death. His last word in the book of Jonah is death. Jonah has lost all delight in living. And these are the last shameful words that are recorded from the prophet. What a tough lesson it was for Jonah to learn about God's mercy. He was so unwilling to learn of God's mercy. Jonah learned that God controls everything. He learned that when he was in that storm. But the hard part was for him to accept that God controls the heart of man. He could accept that God controls the universe, but that God is able to break hearts of stones, that Jonah could not make sense. Jonah was a controversial prophet. Some have called him, called him disqualified for ministry. And indeed, there were many, many problems with Jonah, but the Lord still used him it's mind-blowing that the Lord used so unqualified prophet. And now I want to speak directly to you, young man. Perhaps you have felt in your heart the Lord calling you into ministry. Perhaps you have thought that you are disqualified. That you could never meet the standards that are in His words. Well, let me tell you something. You must be at least the second most disqualified. Because Jonah was the most disqualified. Jonah didn't even want to see people converting. How he could be a prophet, a preacher, if he didn't want to see converts. But God doesn't need the most qualified. In fact, many times it pleased him to, to use the most unexpected ones. To fulfill his mission. The Lord used a fisherman. A tax collector. A persecuted of the church. Now he, used, he even used a prophet who didn't want to see people repent. As this famous saying goes. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies who he calls. If you feel the call to the ministry. If you have that burden in your heart. Do not wait to feel qualified. Simply show up. And he will qualify you. And for those of you who don't feel the call to the ministry. That doesn't mean that God doesn't have a lesson to teach you as well. God is sovereign over everything. Which means that there is no heart that he cannot transform. And there is no sinner that he cannot save. This speaks against any pride or selfishness in us. But also encourage us against the despair. When sometimes we feel that something is irreversible. That someone is just beyond salvation. The Lord is all powerful. Even to break the hardest heart. God's mercy is outstanding. And it is so beyond our comprehension. That sometimes it can be a hard lesson. 
for us to understand. A hard lesson to swallow. But God's mercy is not just something to know about, but also something that challenges us. Our third point, the challenge of God's mercy. In the last two verses, God gives a final challenge to Jonah and to anyone who hear these words. At this point, many of us would probably have given up upon Jonah, but not the Lord. Most of us would have think that Jonah is a lost cause. Just forget this prophet, Lord. Call somebody else, but not the Lord. The Lord makes a contrast. You had pity over the plant. The same word used in verse 11. Should not I spare, should not I have pity, should not I spare Nineveh? Jonah had pity over a plant, while God had pity over Nineveh. Pity here refers to look upon with compassion. God had compassion over Nineveh, while Jonah only showed compassion over a plant. God was moved with compassion for those people, while Jonah was only able to have more compassion for a plant. A plant that thou hast not labored, neither madest grow. Verse 10. Jonah didn't even work to cultivate that plant. But yet, he was more attached to that plant than to those souls perishing around him. Jonah had no real compassion for the people. And probably not even for the plant. He was feeling sorry for himself who had lost his nice shade, and now he was feeling sorry for himself. Jonah's concern for the plant is pathetic compared to what is at stake on that occasion. How much more valuable were the souls of those in that city than of that plant? A plant that quickly grew overnight and also died in the night. A short-lived plant The plant perished in the night. The word perish occurs four times in Jonah. Jonah 1 verse 6. When the shipmaster invited Jonah to call to God that we perish not. Then in chapter 1 verse 14. When the sailors cried to God, let us not perish. Then in chapter 3 verse 9. When the king and all the city of Nineveh cried to the Lord for him to turn away from his fiercy anger, that we perish not. This verb points to the great anguish of those who were in the verge of death, were about to be killed, were about to perish. And finally, it occurs here in verse 10. Showing that the only thing, throughout the whole book of Jonah, the only thing that the Lord actually allowed to perish was a plant. The only thing in the book of Jonah that actually perished was a plant. The Lord is in the business of saving sinners from perishing. 
That was a lesson that Jonah had not yet understood. The challenge of God's mercy is that we have to understand that God saves those who don't deserve to be saved. God is in the business of saving sinners. If you, th- if you think that someone cannot be saved because he doesn't, he doesn't deserve it, you have not understood the lesson yet. And if you think you deserve to be saved, it's probably because you have not yet been saved at all. God will put you to the challenge so that he can conform you more and more to the image of Christ. He will put you to the challenge to perfect you, to conform you to himself, to who he is, to his attributes. Jonah's character is contrast with God's character. And that way he's challenged to do better. In verse 11, the contrast between the Lord and Jonah reached the climax in the book. And should, and should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are, are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. Jonah had compassion over a plant, but thought that God should not have compassion over a whole city. Six score thousand, that is 120,000 people, 120,000 souls in that city. How can Jonah accuse God of being too gracious? They were not only many people, but also people who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand. A people who didn't have knowledge of God. Who were like children regarding God, regarding the doctrine of God. Who had not heard the gospel before. And in the eyes of Jonah, and perhaps in the eyes of many other Israelites, these were uninstructed pagans. And that was a reason enough for him to despise them, to hate these people. But for God, this was a reason to show them mercy. For the Lord is in the business of saving sinners from perishing. Around 612 BC, Nineveh was going to be destroyed. But for that generation that heard the gospel being proclaimed, it brought them great deliverance. It is true. The kingdom of Assyria would not taste a complete reformation and revival. Sadly, not too long after, some generations would go back to all the paganism, to all the hatred against Israel, And they would be destroyed because of it. But for this people, in that moment, in that point in time, who heard this message, this brought deliverance to them. The Lord saves whom he will to save. 
Romans 9, 18. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills. And whom he wills, he hardens. What a tough lesson. It is a challenge for our human mind to make sense of his mercy and grace. Although Nineveh was despised by Jonah, he was loved by God. And God's sovereign grace saves despite, despite of our stubbornness even. Just as it saved Nineveh. And that is both a challenge and a comfort. A challenge because it challenges our stubbornness. Our hard heart towards others. And it is a comfort to know that even when we fail, God saves whom he will to save. The book of Jonah ends a little unresolved. We are not given a chance to hear from Jonah. The book ends hang with this question hanging in the air. It finishes open-ended. Did Jonah repent of being selfish? Did Jonah understand that God can have mercy even on our enemies? Did Jonah ever see that if he had the right to receive God's favor, then anyone else also had it too? Usually I don't share opinions in a sermon, but I know that there are a lot of questions regarding Jonah. And allow me here to express what I think. I think that Jonah did learn the tough lesson on God's sovereign mercy. Mainly for three reasons. First, Jonah was a prophet of God. Whether he liked it or not, he was a prophet of God and he was a mouthpiece of God. So I don't think he was unrepentant forever. Doesn't seem like the Lord was going to abandon him, but work in him. Second, the sign of Jonah to Nineveh is used by Jesus. In the book of Matthew twelve, thirty-eight to forty-two, as a sign for his work. And third, and perhaps the most convincing, who wrote this book? Most likely Jonah himself. And throughout the book, he never tries to redeem himself. He never tries to justify himself. Because he recognized that the book wasn't about him. His concern was to show Israel who is their God. A gracious God. And I think that is a sign of true repentance. And with that said, it doesn't really matter what was Jonah's answer to this final question. The goal of this ironic question is to bring Jonah to repent. And the goal of leaving this question unanswered by Jonah is to bring us to repent. Is to confront us with the same question. And perhaps we would be quick to answer in our minds that answer that was given to Jonah. Oh yes, of course. The Lord is right to show mercy to whom he will. But if the only thing we do with this question, if the only thing we do with this is orthodoxy, that is, is to profess the right doctrine, 
It is to head or nod, to nod our heads at church, to say, yes, that is true. But we don't preach this gospel. Then we are worse than Jonah. If the only thing that the book of Jonah teaches us is to have the right orthodoxy, but not the right orthopraxy as well, then we are not better than Jonah. Because even against what he wanted to do, he obeyed God. But what about us? If we profess that we, we want to see sinners being converted, if we profess that it's true that the Lord is gracious and we don't do this, then are we better than Jonah? The book of Jonah leaves us with an unanswered question. So I think it is fitting to leave you with an unanswered question as well that only you can answer to yourself. If I know that God is gracious, how am I showing His mercy to others? For the lost, God is in the business of saving sinners. For the believers, God is in the business of conforming us into the image of Christ. So go home and think in this unanswered question. What is your answer before God's grace? What is your answer before His grace in your life, in the life of others? That is something that only you can answer. And it matters more that you answer this question than how Jonah answered his. How do we answer before God's grace? Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, most holy, all-powerful, all-just, and all-merciful God, O Lord, Thou art gracious, long to suffer, long to be angry, Thou art, Lord, so merciful. It is because Thou art slow to anger that we are here today. It's because of Thy mercy, Lord, that we can stand before Thee. And, O Lord, we confess. We confess this so many times. We have not yet been conformed into the image of Christ in this criteria. We know, Lord, who Thou art. But we fall short, Lord, to have the same heart that Jesus had for sinners. So, O oh Lord, we pray to Thee this morning. Give us a heart like, like the heart of Christ. That loves, that prays, that cares for those who are perishing around us. Oh, Lord, give us this burning passion to proclaim thy message to thine souls. Because we don't know, Lord, and yet how many days this world will be destroyed. 
So have mercy, Lord. Have mercy on us. And have mercy on those around us. Because we know, Lord, that because of who thou art, there is no sinner man that cannot be saved. No, Lord, even despite our failures, use us, Lord, as jars of clay to carry thy message. Even, Lord, in our stubbornness, use us, Lord, to witness to those around us who have not yet known Thee, Lord. And, O Lord, do not abandon us. Day in and day out, conform us into the image of Christ until we see, Lord, Thy kingdom coming upon this world. So we pray thee, Lord, show thy mercy on our lives and the life of others because we know that thou art all-powerful and all-merciful. And we pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen.